Welcome to Inside the Markets with John McLeod. Each program, we will bring you insights from top leaders in business, real estate, politics, and more, with the hope that experiences will provide you with the knowledge and understanding to help make your path to success a smooth one. All right, welcome to another edition of Inside Leadership. Today, we are excited to have with us Jason Abrams, who is the VP of Industry at Keller Williams International. Jason, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you know, we we changed the title. Just oh, we before, did. I should have asked that beforehand. Before this the interview, well, we changed. We, it, it's now it's the head of industry and learning, and we moved the learning division under it as well. And awesome. Here's what happens, by the way. Not to go off yeah. on a tangent, people always no, say, but, "What what the hell is industry?" Um, we made it up. And here's why, you know, all of the big tech companies have an industry department and industry is widely considered the two most highly considered consumer purchases. And that's automobiles and housing. Uh, and we don't sell cars here yet. Um, and so we, we focus mainly on the housing. Well, so, and I would tell you that I think this is one of the positions that you'll start seeing in the top teams. I, I know uh, our friend Ben at Place just created a department of industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at Livian, they've created a department of industry. And you're starting to see these things happen because there, there's this idea that our industry is going through what other industries would call hyper change, which is everything is static for an extended period of time. And ours was founded in 1891. So mm-hmm. when I say an extended period of time, like the first board of realtors gets together in 1891, they then formalize it in 1910. And I got to tell you, other than the MLS, not a whole lot has changed in the right. last 112 years. But now we have these three, four, five years where all the lines are blurring, the generation methods are changing, the laws are changing, plaintiff's attorneys are becoming a little more aggressive. Like we have, We're in hyper change. And I'll tell you, man, if, if you intend to thrive and stay in the middle of the industry, you might need to have an industry department to keep you abreast of all the changes because it's changing faster every day than ever before. I, I love that. And that, again, not getting off too much of a tangent, Keller Williams just aligned corporately with 72 sold out of Phoenix area. The, their program is a game changer. I got an opportunity to listen to them back in September at uh, the KCN summit. And, uh, and yeah, it was an absolute game changer for this industry. What? And some of the legalities that are coming down the road are just make you kind of squint and go, Hmm, wonder what's happening. Well, that, that, I mean, that, that was literally, that was just studying as studying does. And, and what I mean by that is you have, you have a choice to make you either wake up every day and you do the things that you did. And by the way, I'm not discounting that because in times of shift and we're in one, you run towards proven techniques. You don't go mm-hmm. to try new stuff. So I get that. On the same token, though, you got to wake up and ask the question every day, who's doing something different that's having a result that dwarfs mine? That That's a full question, but it's the right one to ask. And as soon as you start asking that, if you're a solo practitioner, you're going to look in your immediate marketplace. If you're running a large team, you might look in your immediate market. If you're running an expansion team, you're going to start looking around the United States. If you're running a franchise like Keller Williams that's in 53 different countries, you're going to start looking everywhere. And in 2018, I I started to ask the question, who's capturing listing market share at an above average rate? And I I found, um, and all the data was public, I, I just spent the time to look at it. And Lo and behold, I found this little baby company that had 41 agents in Phoenix, Arizona, and I just started watching it. And here's what I saw. I saw this. 
it wasn't this, it was this. And it was really unique. Yeah. And um, I just started studying it. Lo and behold, three years later, they had 1% of the agents in the Phoenix market and 12% of all the listings. And Phoenix yeah, isn't like a micro market. It's a giant market. It is. It's a Phoenix is the size of the market of many states. And and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, to, to sell 72 sold one way or right. the other. What I am here to do, though, since this is a conversation about leadership, is I got to ask the question, if if you're leading, then that that implies that you're on the bleeding edge of the things that matter most to your business. Well, when I look up the macros for my business is aging count, it's market share, and then it's per agent productivity. Yep. The bleeding edge of it means that I can't just look within the things that we're coming up with. I need to look at all of the things. And it's really bizarre to me that that here we found somebody that was having this amazing result. And the first reaction was everyone trying to point out why it wouldn't work or why it wouldn't work in their market or why it couldn't work or Resistance why they're upset about it. And I'm like, gosh, I, and I think that's the, the the difference, by the way, between models and systems and dogma. And what I mean by that is I, I define models and systems as the things that work as well today as the day we wrote them. That's a model and a system. Dogma, I think, is everything else. And as soon as you make that distinction, it's real easy to not get married to any single way of doing business. That is a fantastic analogy that I'm going to take this clip and use this over and over because I've been having this exact discussion and this is so much more succinctly than, than I've been able to put it. So thank you for going down this road with me. You know where I, you know where I got it? I went to see a, a, a trainer and um, this guy, he's like, like the big guy in Austin, whatever. And so he charges what I deemed to have been a ridiculous amount of money, but I'm, I'm in, so I want, I, I'm paying him. And I, and he's telling me, he's like, okay, well, we got to count the calories that you're eating and then the calories that you're burning. And then we have to reduce your caloric intake to put you into a, a caloric um, deficit and you're going to lose weight. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But where's the new stuff? Like I, I could have read that. Give me what's the news. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. And he goes, well, that's a model and system that's worked since the human body. Are you asking me about everything else? And I, I was sitting there and I was like, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and that's what I decided that that's how the world works. You have systems and models and dogma and misunderstanding the difference between the two is what creates anxiety. That's awesome. I love it. Love it. So Jason, how'd you get in real estate in the first place? I got a 1.8 GPA in high school and they don't let people like me be doctors. <laughs> no, that was it. I mean, I, I okay. you know, like the, the things that I excel at weren't the things that are celebrated in classic academia. And, and okay. I, I came out of it and um, it took five days to get a real estate license in the state of Michigan where, where I grew up. And I figured out, you know, even I can do five days of school. Um, and so I, I did the five days and I was really afraid that I wasn't going to be able to pass the test because I, I'm, I have some learning challenges. And uh, my mom, who has always seen more in me than, than anybody ever will, said, no, you can do this um, and I'll do it with you. And I was thinking, what does that even mean? My mom's a teacher. So we decided to wait until the summer and I went to real estate school and she got her real estate license. And um, she's never sold the house, but she still keeps it mainly to ensure that I go to Con Ed every year, by the way. And, um, and that was it, man. My house turned into real estate 101. There was flashcards taped to, to the, to the drawers where you'd get the plates. And, you know, you were looking at the square footage for an acre when you opened the refrigerator, she had put it in there 43,650. And like, yeah, 
she just made it her mission to get me that license. I was actually had accepted a job to sell women's shoes at Lord and Taylor. Okay. Um, all my friends were going away to college and, and I was going to go uh, sell shoes. And to be honest with you, man, I, I didn't really think that was such a downside, like hang out at the mall all day, sell women's shoes. Like this was going to be okay. And once I got past the Al Bundy jokes, I was pretty good with it. <laughs> um, and then I got the license and in, in Michigan, you, you, it was a five-day course, and then you had to get a C minus, a seventy percent on the test. So I yeah. managed to to eke my way through, and and then I didn't sell a house for for six months. Okay, um, and then I did, and uh, I'll just never forget that day, man. For the I guess for the first time in my life, I felt really valid, and I felt really good, and I I jumped into my Grand Am, and I like rolled down the windows and cranked <laughs> up the radio and. I left that listening appointment. I just decided I wanted to feel like that every single day. That's awesome. I love that. So what's one of the best investments that you've made along the way, whether it's time, money, human capital, what have you? Um, I know I know that everybody says the best investment you can make is people. And that's really smart. Gary says that to me all the time. That I think that implies that you somehow know how to grow them. And I think I I didn't. <laughs> the best investment that, that I ever made um, have been the dollars that I've spent on myself, because I believe that the path of any successful business mirrors the growth of its owner. And I believe that every one of you is CEO of you. Forget whether you're a sole practitioner, you're running a mega team, doesn't matter. You're the CEO of you. And so if you imagine yourself as that, um, it makes a lot of sense that you're going to have to grow as a human in order to help grow other humans. And for the first half of my career, I succeeded wildly, meaning succeeding is I can go out, I can throw this thing on my back, I can run up any mountain, I can do anything. And I was really good at that. Then I realized that succeeding is a far cry from leading, and I hadn't spent any time growing a leadership muscle. I knew how to succeed on my own. I didn't know how to lead anyone else. The day that I made that decision and then hired a coach to teach me leadership was the best investment that I ever made. Awesome. Love that. So what's one quirk about you that most people may not know? Um, one quirk. How do you define quirk? It, it could be anything that is just uniquely you. I'll tell you, I've got one of my guests, uh, publisher of a newspaper, is an incredibly handy guy. He can fix anything. And you would never know that about him because he's just, it's not his persona. But all of a Got sudden, it. like, oh, something broke. Yeah, I'll go fix the foundation of the house today because I'm bored. That's just the kind of guy he is. Yeah, I, I guess for me, I'm kind of an open book. There's very little about me that you wouldn't know looking at it. I, I, okay. I, if I did have to define a quirk, I would tell you that um, I probably read I'll take the Pepsi challenge against anybody. I, I think I probably read more or as much as anyone you know. Uh, it's hours a day, every day. Awesome. I love that. And by the way, we're going to get into book recommendations and I'm going to have an entire list and we'll see how many of them that you've uh, that you've hit on that list already. Right. So, what, uh, what habit do you have that most positively affects your mindset? Um. I, I I don't know that it's such a positive thing, but I mean, if you said to me, what's the mindset that has helped you get where you are? I, I always view myself as the underdog. I always feel um, like um, people are betting against me. I wake up every day with a wild competitive urge to compete in almost everything. And in some ways in my life, that's proven to be unhealthy and it's harmed me. In my career, that's proven to be one hell of an asset. 
Awesome. So what bad advice do you most often hear in our business? Um, the harder you work, this idea that um, you can be smarter and work less and still have the same result. I believe that you can set boundaries, but I don't know anybody that's very successful that doesn't work very hard. Now, if you want to tell me that you want to set the boundaries by the times you'll do it, I'm good with it. But don't tell me that you're not going to go 200% during it. This quote, um, work smarter, not harder, somehow implies that there are periods of your life where you don't have to work at 1,000%. And I don't believe that. I'd rather you work less hours, but harder during them. Awesome. So now on to the books. What book or books do you most often recommend and why? Well, here's the challenge with it. I've read a lot of books. And I mm -hmm. think I, what I haven't found is some blanket diagram for life. And so when I, anyone asks me that, I always say the same thing. If you give me a specific topic or a challenge or a problem you're trying to solve, I'll tell you the book for it. Okay. Awesome. So let's, let's do that. Let's, let's talk about personal development because one of the things that you said your best investment was in your own personal development. Yeah. I would start with Michael Singer. I'd read the untethered soul. Then I'd move into the surrender experience. And then I'd get into living untethered. I think until you find some state of mental health, it won't matter how many self-help books you find. And the concepts that he lays out in those books for me are the cornerstone. Excellent. My leading, my reading list just expanded. My Amazon account, account just uh, spent, dropped a little bit in money and spent a little bit extra. Thank you for that. So, Lastly, what do you do to reset when you need it most? Um, I'm probably not a, a great model for that. I, I, I don't, I don't think that I, I really have a, a, a great model for it. I, I work, I'm kind of a workaholic. I wish that I could define it a different way. I'm not really great at setting those boundaries. I'm trying to accomplish a very specific goal that I haven't hit yet, which I'm not comfortable sharing. Sure. But when I do hit it, I'll have to figure out how to have a little bit more balanced existence. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. for. I, the, I think uh, the worst thing that someone can do is have an answer for everything. And then when you look at that person's life, you realize that they're not authentic to the answer. And I think of that as intellectual tourism, and it really pisses me off. <laughs> I'm with you on that. And I, I absolutely appreciate the honesty on that answer, because you know what, not everybody has something that they do, the ability to do it, and so on. So you know, I appreciate that, that honesty. So Jason, I really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I would well, just a, a kind of a quick word to everybody, because everyone is talking about the shift that we're going into. And I, and I know we try to keep these evergreen, but we still can't ignore the fact that the next couple of years are going to be a slight challenge. I just want to remind everybody, a shift in the macroeconomic status of your marketplace doesn't mean that you shift. The only real shifts in life are when you change your mindset or your habits. That's it. And so when you let external events condition the way that you're thinking about internal events, you're on a path for absolute misery. I would tell everybody to stop and go back and solve the infinite challenge, which is simply the voice in your head, which is the one that's talking to you 24 hours a day and dictating to you the actions you're going to take. Until you do that, you're very easily controlled by everything around you. And my wish for everybody is that you would break that level of control by reasserting who you are inside. Love it. Jason, again, thank you very much for the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Inside the Markets with John McLeod. I hope you found this topic interesting. Each show, we will bring you intriguing and relevant commentary from the top experts here in our market. 
If you have suggestions for future topics or would like to be a guest on the show, please email me at johnmcleod at kw.com. That's J-O-N-M-C-L-E-O-D at kw.com.